Nomai Haidemai, and welcome to the Reviving Hope podcast. I'm your host, Bronnie Tressler, and this is a place to find Christian hope for mental health challenges. This is my first episode. Thanks so much for joining me. My story gives the background for Reviving Hope. It's about my journey through significant mental illness and making a very good recovery. I am interviewed by my close friend, Bron Tate, who has the same name as me. But don't worry, our voices are distinct and you won't have any trouble following us. Early on, I make mention that someone took their life in order to give context to my story, but no details are given. My story focuses on real hope, recovery and maintaining wellness. Welcome, Bron. It's great to have you here. And it's lovely to be here, Bronnie. Oh, it's good. This is pretty special. You and I, the two Bronnies, talking for this first episode. You are a dear friend, Bron, and have been a mentor to me over many years now. And having the same name is kind of funny. I think we were just meant to be friends. Me too. <laughs> Before we get into my story, I thought it would be good for us to just say a little bit about ourselves. So I'll kick it off. I'm Bronnie Tressler. I live in Otatahi here, Christchurch, New Zealand. I'm married and have two school-aged boys. And over the past four years now, I've been writing and um, taking photographs for my blog, which is called Reviving Hope. And it's really um, on faith and mental health, and it's evolved into this podcast. And you, Bron. Well, I'm a grandmother, a mother, a wife, a sister, a friend. Um, I'm 70 years old, and I must say I'm in this enjoying very much the season of my life. We're still, we've been pastors for a long time, and we're still involved um, in pastoral care. Uh, we go to a wonderful church here in Christchurch called Grace Vineyard, and we are like a pastor to the pastors. Oh, that's great. Bron, this episode we're going to focus on my significant mental health journey and what really helped me in my recovery. Yeah, so Bron, could you tell um, tell me where you felt this mental health journey started? Uh, it was quite defined. Um, 13 years ago, uh, my sister, who was in her 20s then, uh, went missing on a hill near our city. Um, I was... 32 at that time and had a seven-month-old baby and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, and, yeah, there was just an incredible outpouring of support um, to our, our family and, um, yeah, from family and friends, our church, um, Grace Vineyard, and our community. So, yeah, what happened after that was... Um, yeah, it was almost two years after that time that my sister's body was found and she'd ended her life. Can you tell me, uh, Bronnie, what happened to you in that initial time when your sister went missing? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think it's normal to have a great range of emotions when someone goes missing. Um, and for me, um, some of the ones that were quite dominant were fear and anger. Um, yeah, and I developed a mania, so my thoughts were racing. And I think many people didn't recognise what was happening to me purely because of the trauma that we were 
living in. Uh, eventually, I developed a psychosis. So I lost touch with reality. I had delusions, so um, beliefs that weren't based in reality. Um, yeah, most of those were unpleasant. Um, yeah, some some of them I was quite fearful about um, to do. I was quite fearful to do with those, imagining mm -hmm. cosmic things were happening that weren't, hearing things that weren't real, so auditory mm. hallucinations. And it all sort of came together that I was really frightened for my life and for my loved ones' lives. Mm. Oh, this, um, what a vulnerable and frightening experience for you to go through, Bronnie. Yeah, it really was. And yeah, as you know, uh, finally, some weeks later, it was quite, quite a long time mm. while, while I was unwell, um, and I knew how to had some ideas of how to hide that from people, but eventually, I couldn't hide it anymore, and I was taken to hospital. Um, I was admitted to Hillmorton Hospital, um, and stayed there for some weeks. I think I was terrified at times, and I had one to one supervision for some weeks. After those um, first weeks, I was transferred to. Very grateful to be transferred to the Mothers and Babies Unit at Princess Margaret Hospital, and that's uh, here in Christchurch. And it was just amazing to be able to be somewhere and have my baby with me. And uh, yeah, the service there was was excellent. Mm. It was very supportive. I believe that made a huge difference for you being able to be in the Mother and Babies Unit and. Um, just such mm. a blessing to have that in Christchurch. I'm aware that not all centres have this. Mm. Um, I think that because your baby was only six months old and it was very important for you to keep the connection and, um, and also be supported in that. Yes. And so when you were finally discharged home, that must have been quite a, quite a big um, experience for you going out of a very supportive environment where you got a lot of support with your baby and someone to talk to at all times to coming back into a place where there were things that as a mother are mm. demanded of you. Mm -mm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the psychosis had, was resolving over months. It took a long time. Yeah, but I had, um, I had to get in there and feet on the floor really and and keep going with things mm. um you know it wasn't long before it wasn't long after I returned home that I became depressed mm. um and there was really complex grief mm. um that was going on as well so yeah I was readmitted to the um mothers and babies unit with depression mm. and diagnosed with bipolar disorder which was yeah that was a very big moment for me um, I didn't, um, yeah, I wasn't happy about having that diagnosis and um, it was something that I, mm. I really struggled with for quite some time. Um, yeah, I, ca I became despairing and um, you'll remember me being like that, despairing and, and very anxious. And um, during that second hospital stay, I developed OCD thinking Um yeah, I was having this. This is probably one of the hardest parts of of being unwell. As time went on, was I was having random and intrusive thoughts, 
um, which come under that OCD thinking rather than sort of like OCD doing sort of thing. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, brought with it great anxiety and um, over five months, sorry, over the that year I was in hospital for five months over two stays and that Christmas I was discharged feeling very low and um, was I was really afraid of being left on my own. Well, you know, I've known you all that time, Bronnie, and you have made a great recovery. But I know that it, there was nothing magic about it. There were so many different aspects of it. Mm. And would you just share with us the things the different things, the multifaceted things mm. that you um, you actually committed to for your healing. Mm, sure. So those improvements were very um, small and, yes, small increments over time. And other people noticed them, but I couldn't see them. And um, you were one of the people that would point out things that you'd you know, you'd see something and you that had improved and you would point that out to me, which was really good. Um, yeah, it was putting one foot in front of the other. You know, sometimes that was minute by minute, hour by hour. Um, yeah, so I was home that second time. I needed to carry on with routines. Routines are really important. And I had tasks that I needed to do to be able to just keep the household um, running, so looking after the kids, making meals, doing the laundry, and I think I look back on that now, and I think that was actually a real grace of God that, you know, that I could, that, you know, I had to get out of bed for little people, and that in itself was actually helping me. Um, otherwise, I don't think I would have, mm. you know, been up and about doing things, which was good. Um, yeah, I had close relationships with you, particularly you and my mum. Um, there are strong supports, and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were of great help to us as well. And this whole thing was really, as you can, as you can imagine, you know, this mm. whole thing was very hard on our marriage, mm. and my husband really persevered through some very difficult um, times. Yes, he's a very good man, your Jonathan, and he has persevered and been faithful, and I'm sure he would have felt frustrated at times and overwhelmed with mm. some of the things that were happening. But again, I think he just continued daily to put one foot in front of the other. And mm -mm. Yeah, and all the support that he got helped me too. I think it's true to say that I had to do the largest part of my rehab, working on getting well. You know, it was it was hard work, mm. and it was a long walk out of the depression and anxiety. But I did come through. You know, God restored my life and our family. He used practical things that we've talked about, and you know, it's the healing work of His Holy Spirit as well. I think it was also. I think it's also helpful to say that, you know, we still live, that I still live, not we. I think it's also helpful to say that I still live with anxiety at times. It's nothing like it was, but it's still there. Well, I think perhaps, Bron, you have learnt how to manage it. You are very aware of the signs when things can just rev up a bit for you in that whole area. 
and um, mm. you've definitely expressed to me that you you need to to look and listen to your own body and mm. uh, and do things that can stop you going further down that whole road. And I believe you really have learnt to manage your anxiety. And a lot of it's with very practical things like pull back. Mm-hmm. You know, pull back, rest, get early nights, get exercise, you know, um, and just you really have to take an inventory of how much and I believe all of us do, how much stress we actually allow into our lives. Some is unavoidable. Mm. It's just part of being alive. But there are other times where we need to look and say, do I need to be involved there? Mm. Because I know the cost will be. Yes. Yeah. You have to learn about yourself, don't you? Yes. And I, I believe it behoves all of us to learn about ourselves. And to be able to recognize signs in ourselves mm-hmm. where our body is try, is telling on our souls and mm-hmm. trying to give us signals, you know, that um, that we're doing too much or we're, we're not having clear boundaries, we may be getting too enmeshed in something. And then I think we teach ourselves by our dialogues within our heads, within our hearts, uh, actually... Mm-hmm. I can pull back from this. If I'm not involved, it'll still be fine. Yes. And that takes many years to learn, I believe, Mm-mm. for everyone. Yeah. And you've certainly helped me with that, Bron, over the years. Well, it's certainly something I've had to learn, Bronnie. Um, you know, uh, having being very compassionate and having certain skills after being a nurse for 40, 50 years, Um yeah, I, I often, that's my first reaction to want to help. But then I just need to get some reality going, like actually there are other people who can do this. So can you share with us, Bronnie, what some of the other things were that helped with your recovery? Sure. Well, I think like you've said, it's a holistic approach to mental health and mental emotional physical, social, spiritual health. Um, you know, we're made up of so many different facets, aren't we? Um, and you know, f- it's addressing those things, um, not just, yeah, addressing those things um, for both getting well and then also for staying well because it's not like mm. you just arrive at some destination. It's, you just have, you have to get to that point but also continue to maintain it. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll expand on these more in future episodes, but I just thought it'd be good to talk about a, a number of them here. So um, yeah, first I took good care of my body, and yeah, um, as part of that, the physical health, I needed medications, and because of the way that I came my journey coming to medications, I I really had to. I didn't have a choice. It was something that happened. I was so unwell and I haven't stopped taking them since. Mm. I just see that they're so important for my well-being. It's very wise, Bron, to do that. Um, And it's very difficult perhaps to think, do I face a lifetime of being on medication? But I think you have to sort of balance yourself well. This medication 
actually has has made me well mm, along totally. with other things yeah. and do i want to risk for myself and for my family that i could be that unwell again Mm-mm. and i haven't amazingly i haven't had another episode since and i do i do think that mm. that's part of the reason why is because i've stayed the course mm. with mm. Uh, medication Yes, I'd have to agree in just being a nurse for a long time and, and knowing quite a few people who have struggled um, with the diagnosis of bipolar and mm-hmm. have actually um, and are living with that diagnosis. Um, the ones I know who are doing really well are taking the medication that that suits them the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think getting enough sleep having good daily routines is really helpful um and you know eating reasonably well I'm not like super super (laughs) super healthy eater but I Mm. I think I eat a well-balanced diet and Mm. I'm aware that um you know exercise and diet are really important especially Mm. given how um, weight gain can be an issue with taking medications yes so um Yes, yeah, so that's something that, you know, I did um, gain weight um, with that. So, yeah, I do um, try and get out for a fast walk um, ongoing as a, a maintenance thing for me. Um, but, yeah, I, was, I didn't feel like exercising through those times. But, um, yeah, it was just getting, getting the shoes on, getting out the door. So what you're talking about here is allowing um, actions to actually precede feelings Mm. because feelings I I actually never feel like going for a walk but sometimes you just get up get your shoes on and get out there and I never regret it yes when I'm out there but I spend a lot of time trying to put it off before (laughs) I get out there because my feelings which aren't an accurate indicators of truth um are often drawing me back to the bed or the couch yeah so true Mm. And especially when it's winter time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think the public mental health services were very good to me over um, quite a number of years. Um, I'm very grateful for, I had a clinical psychologist who really helped unpack the OCD thoughts mm. and gave me, you know, provided really healthier ways of thinking mm. that I could um you know, could do, and that was a long process. Yes. Um, Bronnie, did you have, you know, OCD thoughts, and uh, from what I know of them, they're not usually pleasant. No. They're not telling you you're a fabulous person. <laughs> they usually are things that you don't feel good about yourself yeah. for thinking some of these thoughts. Yes. You know, a lot of it's yep. tight. A lot of it ends up with quite self depreciating kind of thinking yeah so shame becomes quite a big part of your life in that instance it does Mm. it does yeah I feel um I feel a lot of compassion for people who suffer in this way and I think it's something that probably isn't Mm. talked about enough and maybe it's not understood well would you say I think people have an idea it's just someone who meticulously and scrupulously cleans their house. Mm. And so there's almost a slight like, oh, I'd like them to come around to my house. But actually, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing that torments people. Yeah, It's very unpleasant. And people do tend not to share it. 
mm. because the lack of understanding. But I believe uh, that there is a lot more understanding coming. And there has been some very good books. And there are some wonderful therapists who can help you um, learn how to manage your thinking. Um, another thing that helped me was um, studying very part-time. Over five years it was um, at a local Bible college. And I think one of the things about that was, well, there were a couple of things really, but it was really good to be part of a community of really lovely people, you know, to get out of the house, be in a different environment, um, and for my mind to get a break because you can't be working on an assignment and be listening in class, or you can drift away and listening in class, but it really um, caused me to focus on something that wasn't my emotional So turmoil. in a way, Bronnie, it rested your mind it from did. the constant onslaught of these thoughts. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yes. it was such a blessing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes we just want things to stop but sometimes a better way can be to replace. So your brain was busy mm. listening to stuff which you loved, um, yeah, you know, New Testament, um, history, church history, all these things. And so your brain was active and you can't do two things at once. Yeah. Well, not well. Yes. And that yes. captured your attention and actually rested your mind. So again, it's... Yep. It's this whole concept that there has to be things that you're doing, um, you know, like up for a walk, getting involved somewhere, and yet everything within you at the time, I'm sure Bronnie screamed, I just want to lie in my bed all day. Oh, totally, totally. And I just wanted someone to fix it for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, yeah, I, that, those feelings of, I guess, of... Um, yeah, lacking hope for things to change. But in the meantime, you actually there's things you, you can do yes. that help you um, mm. until those feelings come into line. And Yeah, and I think you, when you um, spoke just before about, of course, you played the major part here. There were a whole lot of, it's like you were on a, a racetrack and you were running a race. And at times you'd think, I can't go on. And then you'd come up to the counter where someone would give you water or someone would help you or maybe someone would walk part of the race with you. Mm. But in the end, no one could take that role that you took in your healing journey Mm. because it was what you were doing that was helping your mind to recalibrate and to settle after this event Mm. that you'd been through, which had been life-changing. Yeah. It's so true. I think we were incredibly blessed to have our church family. Um, And we spent, you know, I spent a lot of time with other mothers in our neighbourhood. So socially, we had, you know, good support. And Phil, your husband, um, he was so great with me and encouraging me to... um, you know, to meditate on just small pieces of scripture yeah. and that really I could stay on one scripture even for months when I was really unwell 
Um, and I didn't feel that I could read the Bible. I was mm. in quite a bad way in hospital. And I, but there was just a scripture that, um, you know, that I'd go over and over and it would, you know, it resonated with me. Can you share with us one of those scriptures? Yeah, it's from Lamentations chapter three. Mm. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Well, that's a beautiful one. And Lamentations, um, Jeremiah was very depressed after all the events that had taken place and the personal cost to him. Mm -hmm. And just preceding that verse, he describes how he feels, which is almost like a picture of clinical depression. Mm. And then, but then he remembered the Lord and Mm. he had hope. And the hope didn't come from him, it came from remembering the Lord. Mm. And that's where the scripture is so powerful. Yes, it really is. So all these things that I've mentioned, some of them very practical, were actually gifts from God that really helped me. And Jesus restored my life. He restored our family and my love for him. And I believe it's been Christ's resurrection power to raise me up again as a person, um, to be enjoying life, to know hope for this life, as well as for eternal hope. And that's where the name Reviving Hope comes from. Um, So yeah, I've just had a real restoration, a real healing in my life. And um, also with my family, I thought it would be good, Bron, to talk about you and I here because I think, well, I know you were a huge part of my recovery um, and your healing, um, and so much healing took place in our friendship. Mm. You've been both my friend and pastor before this journey started. Yeah, you really encouraged me to put one step in front of the other. You know, you were one of the people who was cheering me on. Mm. Well, Bronnie, as you know, I was uh, one of the first people who um, observed that you weren't well. Mm. But it wasn't clear to others, I could see that, and it wasn't clear to you. Mm. Um, But over time, it revealed itself. And uh, I did feel incredible compassion for you. Um, And, you know, when you were in Hillmorton and at the Mother and Babies Unit. And I, I believe that... I believe God gave me, I, I, there's a word in Hebrew that's splajos, and it means overwhelming compassion that'll cause you, it's actually used in the story of the Good Samaritan, that'll cause you to actually get up from where you are and go to that person, not actually thinking about, oh, you know, do I need to be involved in this or do I want to be? And I believe that was given by God to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always had quite a lot of compassion for people with mental health, with physical health. And so I didn't find it difficult. And even though I had to go over quite a few things quite a few times, Mm. um, I always found that there was just something so, um, what's the word, you had so much um, humility in accepting advice, uh, in taking your medications, I found it just, you know, that was kind of a, it just made it, it made it easy. And of course that went on for quite a few years and then you became well 
and uh, probably our friendship balanced more then. And you, you have been a very good friend to me, uh, Bronnie. Um, and, you know, I count you as one of my close friends. So mm. um, I don't know if that always happens with people, but it hasn't. It, it's certainly been a lovely thing. And as we've returned to Christchurch, it's been so lovely to spend so much time with you. And you are, you're dearly loved by our family. And um, and mm. I, I just think you're doing a wonderful job as a mother and as a wife and as a believer. And what you're doing now is there's a scripture that says he makes all things beautiful in his time. And there was certainly nothing beautiful about what you went through. It was a very traumatic mm. and frightening and vulnerable thing for you, Bron. Um but I can see that God is now using you and your compassion, your splad, Joss, uh, to act, to help others. And um, mm. we'd much rather read about these things in a book, but when we go through difficult, which we will, uh, Jesus said in this world there will be many sorrows, but I have overcome the world. When mm -hmm. we go through difficult things, um, we initially can feel crushed, but then as God heals us using prayer, using the body, using medications, using very gifted psychologists, mm. um, then we actually can have that compassion for others, which will cause us to get off our donkey, <laughs> just relating back to the parable in Luke, and just bind up those who are in front of us. Mm. It's so good, Bron, and you really, you really did do that for me. And uh, your, both you and Phil, just your um, grace, your gracious, your patient, uh, loving, kind, incredibly patient. <laughs> there was a lot of repetition of things, and I think, um, yeah, it's it's um, really amazing to have been um, supported the way that you supported me and our family. So. Um, yeah, and I think you're just, I guess being a nurse in your background, that holistic, like you're talking, that holistic approach to well-being is just so important because I think sometimes we can get kind of focused on one area or just a couple mm. or whatever, but you really do take such a broad, um, yeah, holistic way of looking at things. Mm. I, I think it can be a trap sometimes for Christians Um to even uh, acknowledge a diagnosis and then to take medications. Uh, but you see, God has, I, I see it like this, that God has, he has, everyone is made in his image, whether they acknowledge him or not. And those gifts he's put within psychiatrists, psychologists, um, they are his gifts. Mm -hmm. And also I believe he's, a, he's enabled things to be invented you know, um, from nature and other places. I mean, the digitalis, the drug digoxin comes from the digitalis plant, which slows and strengthens the heartbeat um, when people are having a fast heartbeat. And he, he's done, I believe God has done the same with these medications that help the workings of our brain. We're wonderfully and fearfully made mm -hmm. and... Um, there are times where we need substances that will help calm our brains. And there's times where we need things that will help 
um, bring our moods up. Now, they're not the whole answer because otherwise, you know, we wouldn't see people struggling, but they are definitely a major part of bipolar. Mm. But along with the other things that you have done, Bronnie, um, to manage this and to live with this and um, not spend time fighting the diagnosis, Mm. you're having a very fulfilling and fruitful life. It's it's so good, Bron. I think um, I I would say that I I don't I I don't identify as strongly as being I'm bipolar, but I think accepting that mm. what happened is is well explained by bipolar, and mm. um, yeah, it doesn't define me. No, it's just it's a it's a sentence of words that helps know the best treatment for mm, you exactly exactly well that about wraps things up for this episode i think that it's just been such a great mm. opportunity to meet with you braun and i hope that people listening will hear threads of hope woven throughout thanks Bronnie. i i was thinking of that myself the whole purpose of this is to encourage people who are discouraged. Mm. It's to help you to see that there is hope when you feel no hope. Mm. And to normalise that, yes, we do become unwell mentally and that there is help um, Mm. and there there are avenues open to us to get help for this. Yes, definitely. And um, yeah, I plan on producing more helpful interviews, inspiring interviews. So thanks so much, Bronnie, for being part of this one. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Thank you, Bronnie. Okay, you too. Ka kite anō. Ka kite. Thanks so much for listening to my story. It's my hope that you are encouraged by this message. If listening has caused you to be unsettled, please seek someone to talk to or call a helpline in your area. If you are encouraged and would like to leave a comment, you can do this by going to revivinghope.life.